Attack the Rack, coming to you from Seattle, Washington, home of the Supersonics fan base. I'm Josh. Here we go. My name's Josh Hoover. I just wanted to take a second at the beginning of this episode, and now that we're actually getting uh, some people that are downloading the podcast that aren't directly a part of it, I think we have downloads in like five countries, which is exciting. Not very many, but that's okay. So I just want to take a second and uh, kind of rope everybody in on exactly what we're doing, how we're, how this fantasy league is structured, um, and a little bit of what the plan for the podcast is. Uh, honestly, I figure most people are going to be paying a lot more attention to the NBA come February after football season is over and it transitions, and then we're going into March Madness. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to have a basketball podcast, I don't know how you could have a basketball podcast and not talk about March Madness. So we're definitely going to ramp up uh, and do some extra episodes going into March Madness uh, to be able to cover some some of that. And we'll probably have uh, one or two people come on that are more experts in the college game because that's not what I'm follow the closest. I I enjoy it. March Madness is fun to watch, but I kind of had to pick. uh, Can't follow all the sports and all the leagues and all the teams. You got to kind of narrow it a little bit if you want to do it in depth. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll ramp that up. What we're doing right now is we're trying to get to every team in the league and talk on it on the podcast for about 10 minutes or so, give or take, what's going on, wherever the conversation really goes. So the way we do that is we had a fantasy league that we started this year. Normal fantasy basketball kind of sucks. It's really tedious. Uh, It's just not really connected to winning either. Uh, A lot of the guys that you have on there, you just get – somewhat competent uh, players on bad teams, on ball-dominant type of players that take a lot of shots, and that drives a lot of uh, the success of your team. Uh, and so we wanted to do it a little bit different. Something that's a little bit more fun so that when you're watching a game, you're not like cheering for both teams at the same time and trying to cheer for certain guys to get certain stats that you need either in a categories thing if you're doing roto or just uh close the gap i don't care just don't lose by 20 because uh, i need more points for my fantasy team so we just do it straight on wins and we do it on the teams so it's pretty simple we did a draft it's the very first episode of the podcast pretty bad uh audio quality most of the episodes have been pretty bad audio quality so far, but we'll do better and get that dialed in uh, as time goes on. But we went through and drafted all the teams for the first 41 games of the year. So each guy, there are six guys, each guy has five teams. So when we do an episode, what we generally do is have them on, talk through those five teams. That's why they take an hour, hour plus, uh, spend roughly 10 minutes-ish on each team, But we also hit wherever the conversation goes, whatever comes up. And so my goal is to essentially work through the entire league every month that way to make sure we're hitting on all the teams consistently. Again, come February, hopefully we'll be able to ramp up the podcast that we have uh, on a weekly basis and do some more episodes as more interest in going into the playoffs and getting everybody all the way up to speed on what's really going on around the league and what to watch for. Uh, Like some of these new changes that they're proposing. So we'll see uh, when they might put them into place. Hopefully they're a little bit better than the coach's challenge. That has not been my favorite uh, decision and tweak by the league. Uh, However, if we want to talk about some tweaks that they made this year, uh, I do like how much they have cleaned up the traveling up top on the catch. They really, the first week or two of the season, 
uh, called a lot of travels up top on the catch and a lot of travels on the offensive player on the push off using other parts of their body other than just their arm, their chest, their shoulder, whatever, to gain the same type of advantage that the rule is trying to prevent with using the arm for the push off. So those two things have been really good things that have been cleaned up so far this year. And that's, so that's been exciting to see. Obviously, I think everybody would love to see the clear path foul get cleaned up, uh, just get rid of that and allow them to call intentional fouls in the fast break, uh, one shot in the ball, something like that. Uh, so we can see more fast break and less replay reviews of whether or not it is a clear path foul. I don't think anybody really enjoys watching that. Now, they got a few other changes that they're proposing right now in the league, adjusting the schedule. Apparently, people can't play 82 basketball games in a year, uh, even though they're not practicing anymore. So that's the thing. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk on. So I'm not going to go into that too much uh, right now. But that's one of the things. It would go from 82 games to 78 games. There would be a midseason tournament that would be essentially some pool play in November and December leading into a single elimination tournament, likely between Christmas and New Year is my understanding. And then you go right into trade season and everything there. And then come the playoffs, what would happen is the 7th and 8th seed would be up for grabs. So whoever's in the 7th and 8th seed, uh, 7 hosts 8. Winner of that gets the 7th seed. Loser plays the winner of 9 and 10. And they host them. And if they win, they get whoever wins gets the 8th seed. So it puts the 8th seed uh, in play all the way down through the 10th seed. And in order to lose a playoff spot as a team that finished in a top eight seed you would have to lose two games in a row the second of which at least at a minimum if you're the a seed would be a home game if you're the seventh seed they would both be home games i guess the play-in's cool uh be able to switch some things up a little bit get some more people coming into the playoffs keeping that uh in play for a little bit longer um I think that makes sense. I also wonder about the extra games that are going to be played. I mean, that's two extra games. You're trying to load manage, take off four games off the whole year, and now you're adding two games for some of these teams uh, right going into the playoffs. So I I don't know. That's just a little bit confusing. Uh, it'll also be interesting with how do you keep the same number of games in the tournament between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I assume you just have to keep a full loser's bracket going so everybody plays all the rounds regardless of whether they win or lose or whatever happens. I heard some people saying that people just won't care because the NBA uh, is like, well, the European style, well, the European style, they don't have playoffs. And the NBA has playoffs at the end of the year. And so we already have something like this. Well, no, no not really. Uh, I, I think the huge advantage to doing this which will be really cool is when you get into the actual tournament itself, depending on how they do it, making sure they execute it right. But when you get to the tournament itself, single elimination makes it so much more fun. That's part of what makes March Madness so incredible and so exciting to watch. You can have a big upset and a bigger swing because if you look at the number of times that a number two seed or a number three seed is going to lose uh, a seven game series, the percentage chance is super, super low. If you go to a five-game series, it's a little bit higher. If you went to a three-game series, it's a little bit higher. If you go to a one-game series, who knows what could happen? Uh, you can make some of the three-point dominant teams pay a little bit because if they have a one cold shooting night, 
they're out of the tournament and you're moving on. So the consistency of performance that you get by being a little bit closer to the hoop and controlling possessions and making sure that you get more attempts at the rim and at the hoop in general uh, is a really big deal in controlling the a one-game type of a deal, not playing the percentages on a large scale for a large number of games um, that way. So I think that would be super exciting. That's something that they need to implement, that they need to put in place and find a way to, to incorporate that into the season. And I think it's smart to target that time right after Christmas. You have all the Christmas Day games. That's a huge deal. A lot of people are just starting to turn their sights to the NBA and get up to speed, uh, starting to read some stuff, maybe not watching as many games. But they know that football is about to be over. They're going to be watching a whole lot more NBA. And then the playoffs are going to be coming. They're going to want to know what's going on in the playoffs. And uh, this year, there's been a lot of parity. So uh, parody, So I think there's a lot of uh, your bandwagon fans, which is a good chunk of fans, are kind of waiting to see what bandwagon to jump on with all the with all the teams that made a lot of moves this offseason and the combinations of two really good players. So... That'll all be also be interesting uh, to see coming up here. But anyways, thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, rate five stars. Give me five stars. Why not give me five stars? It helps me out. Uh, we're really not doing any advertisements or anything like that right now. We're just having some fun. Uh, I love the NBA. I love basketball. Uh, I wanted to start a little bit different fantasy league uh, to be able to stay engaged. Uh, so I was able to pull together a pretty good group of guys. So I figured, you know, might as well record it along the way so we can have some proof of some of these draft picks and things because uh, we're definitely tracking everything on Excel spreadsheet. We'll, we'll see if we end up putting it on a website and maybe some of you can join us in the league next year because what's going to happen is I talked earlier about the draft and how it already has five teams and the first 41 games we've already uh, drafted. The second part of it is we're going to be drafting again going into this last 41 games of the year, the second half of the season. And so we're just going to pick up the snake draft where it left off and finish that out. Everybody can keep one team if they want. And if you keep that team, you lose whichever round that team was drafted in during the draft. We're still looking for total wins. Whoever wins the most games, that's all that really matters. So we'll redraft for the second half of the year. You can keep one team. You lose that round pick. Uh, if you keep them kind of like a keeper league of sorts, and then you finish out the year, then the four teams with the best records go on and we'll draft the 16 playoff teams, same type of thing in a snake order. But the number one seed for the year, they get to pick the draft order all the way through. So whoever's first, second, third, fourth, they can put them in whatever order they want uh, to see whatever advantage they think they might get from that. And again, it's just on total wins. Uh, so the team that picks the the seven seed or the eight seed or the six seed that goes an extra round or two than they should have is going to be in really, really good shape to offset the guarantee of if it looks like there's one dominant team that's going to plow through the playoffs, which this year I don't even know if there is. Uh, but so that's the league. That's the way it works. Uh, winner take all at the end of the playoffs. Uh, I like it because it lines up with the overall season. Uh, it allows you to be really following and having some sort of vested interest in a handful of different teams. Uh, and so it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, got a really good group of guys. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about why it's called Attack the Rack and how I view shot selection. I want to take just a couple of minutes here uh, to talk a little bit about shot selection. And the reason that I named the podcast Attack the Rack uh, is because that's what I really believe drives winning basketball still. 
there's a lot more three-pointers going up and that's awesome yeah i think we've all kind of intuitively known for a long time people have kind of complained about it that one step inside the three-point line uh that just kind of being a silly shot okay go ahead and get behind the three-point line uh let's move some more people out let's create some more spacing and i do think that has a lot of value especially with big guys that could shoot threes because when you can pull the rim protector out and leave the basket completely exposed that has a lot of value when you hear basketball coaches talking about three pointers and guarding them and getting the other team to guard them they talk a lot about the volume that guys shoot at and i don't think it's so much really about the points it is when guys shoot at that type of volume you know that they're going to get guarded out at the three-point line because the assumption is they must be a good three-point shooter but what has more value those actual threes that they're putting up or is it the fact that you're pulling the defender out of the lane? So not just on that position, but on other possessions, uh, you or your teammates uh, have an easier time getting to the basket, uh, be able to attack the rack, be able to draw fouls. Um, the highest percentage shots there are at the free throw line and at the basket within five feet of the hoop. That's just what it is. That's what it's always going to be. And so I just want to kind of take a second and look at it because not all threes are created equal. It depends what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, there's about eh, 20 guys in the league uh, that break these rules that can shoot the your Damian Lillard, the Steph Curry's of the world. Uh, Kemba Walker even has a lot of these types of shots uh, off off the dribble, the pull up, uh, the more difficult contested threes, and they still somehow seem to put it in at a high clip. That's great. The best player on the other team uh, is always going to have to be game plan for outside of kind of your normal whatever. So whatever they're bringing to the table, whether that's somebody who is a little bit more dominant with their passing and just the power of them getting inside into the basket and the creativity like a LeBron James or a Giannis or somebody like that. Or whether it's Steph Curry or uh, Walker or one of these guards that you have to adjust a little bit differently for. Uh, you're always going to have to do that for the other team's best player. Now, outside of those elite shooters, uh, that there's about, what, 20 in the league, you could argue a little bit either direction. It depends if we're talking about elite shooters that catch and shoot or off the dribble. Uh, there's a big difference there that we're not going to that I really want to get into a little bit. Uh, pull up threes. For example, uh, what I like to look at is really what are what are the points per attempt or the per chance uh, that you get from a shot. Uh, I just count free throws as half an attempt. Whenever I look at all these numbers and put it all together, uh, I I understand the logic behind uh, for any of my fellow nerds out there behind the true shooting percentage and using 0.44 to count for the extra free throws that happen throughout the course of the game and this whole thing. At the end of the day, I think it's baloney because if what I'm really trying to look at is the number of attempts that I had compared to the number of attempts my opponent had, I'm not discount my attempts uh because they're free throws if anything so should be increased so uh, i think that's pretty reasonable if you get uh and one then it's like getting an extra half an attempt that you earned for your team but you earned that that's legit same thing with a three-point shot they're just that much more valuable it's got a couple crosses an extra half an attempt and the value's going to go there as opposed to directly in the efficiency and that's fine but at the end of the day the free throw is going to be pulling up that efficiency number anyways as far as the number of points per attempt because that the free throw is the most valuable shot in the game uh, the league shoots about 77 percent on average 76 point 76.6 last year so if you look at that points per attempt that's 1.53 points per attempt now 0.53 is like come on do i really need well yeah the reason is there's about 100 possessions uh in a game so the way to think about it is 
points per attempt, you just take the decimal out. That's about what it'll be for a game. So then it'd be 153 points for the game. So if it was 1.50, you score about 150 points a game if all your shots were from free throws played at a normal uh, league average pace. Uh, it's about 100 and a half attempts a game um, was the average last year in the way that I look at it. So to give you an idea, that's way better than any team's offense in the league. So obviously uh, nobody has that type of efficiency uh, with their offense, whether it's the Miami Heat at 1.17. So they would get 117 points versus 153 points uh, per game if all of their shots were uh, free throws. Uh, Mavs, 101.15 or 115 points a game. Uh, if all their shots were free throws would be really the next uh, the next closest in there. So that's just a, a huge difference, obviously. And everybody knows that. It's like, why are you spending this long talking about the free throws? Well, I want to kind of set set the groundwork a little bit to understand uh, what drives a really good offense. Is it really from Cassie and ton of three-pointers? Uh, well, pull-ups, they get you 0.98 points last year. Uh, they would get you. So right now, the closest offense in the league to that is the Orlando Magic, who are dead last in the league with 1.02 points per attempt. That's a pretty big difference. So that's like about a four point per 100 or four point per game type of spread. Uh, So that's going to take me from being like a 500 team to like an 11 and a 16 if I get a positive four point spread. Or that's going to drop me down from a 500 team to like a 6 and 11 team. Uh, to give you kind of an idea on how that works. Uh, across the board, if you just shot average three-pointers for the league, that's 1.06 points per attempt, which will give you a 24th, 25th best offense of the league, like the Nuggets or the Timberwolves are right now, uh, right in that range. Uh, so what, what about if they're defended? Well, if you have a defender within six feet, uh, you're right... Uh, almost identical to that pull-up number. So it's going to put you at 0.98 points per possession or dead last in the league, uh, worse than the Orlando Magic at 1.02 points per attempt. This is a lot a lot of numbers, I know. I'm sorry for those of you who are not numbers people, but I want to take a second to lay the groundwork in a little bit of how I look at this stuff and the why the way, why I value certain things the way I do when I talk about uh, assists, because I believe assists are going to give you more like your catch-and-shoot threes or open threes. Uh, open threes come out at like 1.14 points per attempt. Uh, so that's like a third, fourth, fifth best offense in the league, right where the Raptors, Wizards, and Bucks are right now. Wizards, I can't believe that they're offensive, but that's a whole different story <laughs> we'll talk about another time. We'll have to get uh, Trev back on and talk about the Wizards, figure out what's going on there. But anyways, uh, so that's pretty good. So if they're open, uh, it's going to give you like a top five uh, offense in the league. Well, how do you get open threes? You have to, most of those are going to be assisted. Uh, they're going to be on second chance points. They're going to be on, in transition uh, or somebody attacked the rack and drew the defense, made him collapse and hit you for an open three. Those are really the only ways at, uh, that you're going to get open three pointers. And that's why I look at those things and value those things uh, because they break down the defense. Uh, second chance points transition at the free throw line. Uh, you're not going against a set defense. So then if we look at the catch and shoot opportunities, uh, those bring you in right in the middle of the pack. Uh, They get 1.1 points per attempt. So if you got a normal number of attempts that most teams do during the game, you score about 110 points in that game. Spurs, Kings, 76ers are the teams that are kind of doing that right now in that 14 to 16 range. So 
how are there so many good offenses if there's so few ways to shoot threes to give yourself a, a good offense? Again, uh, all threes, if you just take threes across the board, they're going to land you at 24th, 25th best offense right around where the Nuggets and Timberwolves are right now with 1.06 points per attempt or 106 points per Per game if you had about a normal number uh, of attempts uh, and so the, the league's higher than that so where are these opportunities coming from well one of them is like we talked about with the free throws uh, that's a really big deal uh, the other is just at the rack within five feet of the hoop uh, people shoot 61 percent so the math is really easy on that right you just multiply it by two gives you how many points per attempt uh, and that puts you right at 1.22, uh, which would be first in the league. The Heat are at 1.17. And so an average shot at the rim is better than any team's average shot. So uh, we, we kind of all know this. We can't lose sight of this. Is The three-point shot, it does no good. There is not a lot of value there if you're not doing it in a way that pulls the defense out and makes them guard you. If you're shooting a lot of contested three-pointers, if you're shooting a lot of pull-up three-pointers, uh, you're going to have a not a high enough percentage on those shots in order to be able to have a good offense that you can build a quality winning team around especially when you take into consideration the high variance uh, on three pointers uh, the lower the percentage the more volatile something is if something happens 98 percent of the time i mean there's not a lot of volatility there and as you go down 90 percent 80 percent 70 all the way down there's uh there's more and more volatility as the percentage gets smaller uh, so the three-pointers for example uh you got to be taking a ton of them in order to kind of even that out but how do you get up that many threes without moving a lot of the new threes into being contested and pull up three-pointers that's what we saw last year there was an increase in the number of attempts uh from threes but really if you look at it if you look at the number of new shots that were made and the number of new uh, attempts that were taken from beyond the three-point line uh, only 30 percent of those threes went in and if you look at that that's that would be 0.9 points per attempt which is worse than the 0.98 you get from pull-up threes and threes with the defender within uh, like six feet of them what, what does that tell us? Well, it's not so easy to just keep adding in more three-point shots at a high clip that are actually going to help you play winning basketball and have an efficient offense. At some point, there is a diminishing return, and not because players get tired, but because there's only so many of those opportunities. Those opportunities have to be created. Somebody has to draw the defense over at to help at the at the rack to be able to free up shooters uh somebody or has to get out into transition uh, and get down the floor uh, you got to get second chance points you got to get an offensive rebound tip it out to the shooter a lot of times uh, shooters get lost in uh, the offensive rebound you have to find these opportunities these ways to be able to do this and it's not just an endless supply and even when you do it unless they're just wide open threes where nobody's within like six feet of you and assuming that you're a competent three-point shooter because if there's nobody within six feet of you but you're one of these uh ben simmons andre robertson type of people who cares uh, you're, you're still not going to be able to make the defense pay and you're still going to shoot a really low percentage so great if you're adding more three 
three-point shots, but if they're by bad three-point shooters and they're contested in their pull-ups uh, and or any of these, <laughs> especially if you start having multiple, when you have the contested pull-up three, holy cow, there's only like three, four guys in the league, five guys in the league that should really be shooting that shot. Uh, everybody else is just such a low efficiency. Unless that causes the defense to get pulled so far out, they're able to attack the rack and get a lot more assists. That's the offset uh, that I'm okay with people taking some of these harder shots, these pull-up shots, contested shots, uh, even if the efficiency they're creating on those specific shots does not give your team a good offense. If they're able to turn uh, a lot of other people's shots from low percentage shots from a contested shot to open shots to catch and shoot, hitting people at the rim, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line. If you're doing all these things, I get it. There should be one or two guys on each team that's taking some of those tougher shots, that's drawing the attention to the defense, that can open things up for everybody else. And that's why it's so much harder to look at the numbers and the analytics in basketball than it is in baseball because it's a fluid game where your performance, your play on this individual play, you may not end up in the box score, but you created an advantage for one of your teammates. Because if you have 10 assists a game, that probably means there's about 20-ish good quality shots that you generated directly off your pass and that's why you have the 10 makes or the 10 assists to show for that uh, also considering that you don't get credit if they get fouled to go to the free throw line and hit two free throws so you're creating a lot more opportunity there a lot more value there than that we already know isn't being taken into account but then you also have like that hockey assist you created the first advantage you hit the open guy but then he was able to hit, swing it right down into the corner he might end up getting the assist for that but that was really done by the, the penetrator that wasn't done by the catch and shoot guy that's standing on the wing that just wasn't quite open enough so it made one more pass to the guy that was wide open it makes it very difficult to analyze basketball and to look at some of these things uh, with integrity with the numbers uh, also considering what do you need about 353 point shooter th shots to be any sort of statistically uh, significant in looking at how effective somebody is and to really have a gauge on how well they shoot stuff but I would argue that you would need to break that down e even more to catch and shoot and pull up shots so now we're talking about like 700 threes if you want 350 of each of those to have a really good idea uh about how, how good of a shooter somebody is. Anyways, enough, enough numbers talk. I wanted to kind of lay that out there. That's the way I look at it. Threes are awesome. Threes are great, especially if the defense will guard you. That has more value than anything. I think that's really important for defenses to look at, like the Milwaukee Bucks have. Uh, last year, you let poor three-point shooters take above-the-break threes, take tough threes, let them fly. Who cares? As long as the good three-point shooters aren't the one taking them and you're protecting the basket, you're not letting people shoot the corners, you're controlling the possessions in the game, uh, you're going to have a good defense, especially with elite rim protection like they have with the Lopez's for 48 minutes, uh, as well as you have Giannis right next to them. Same type of thing going on over there with the Lakers. That's what I was going to say going into the year. It's going to be a really interesting uh test case in LA this year with the Clippers and the Lakers perimeter defense versus interior defense you have all the perimeter defensive talent you could possibly want on the Clippers so let's see how that translates into a really really good team defense especially knowing that they have some size inside Zubox is actually doing a lot better than I thought he would this year he's huge that's helpful but he's still not in a an elite rim protector he doesn't have kind of that type of value he doesn't have that type of ability and versatility so um, it, it'll be interesting to see who ends up having the better defense out there but I've, I've always been a bigger 
fan uh, more of a believer in protecting the rim as driving a good defense versus worrying about the perimeter getting so spread out people are able to go back door people are able to get easy opportunities at the rim and it puts us in a really weird spot uh, where now you're trying to close out back on somebody that got behind you and you foul them more as they're getting to the to the rim because there's more space inside for them to get go and get some speed get an advantage and you have limited options to stop them but you'll you're willing to foul them because you know how valuable it is for them to just be able to get an uncontested lay-in and at the same time there's so much focus on guarding the three and so much protection of three-point shooters we end up fouling more on the perimeter because we're so worried about the three-point shot so we're giving up more at the rim at the rack and we're also giving more up at the free throw line is that worth contesting all these threes by mediocre three-point shooters which we know the value of that shot's going to put them on pace on average three in the league will put you on pace to have about the 25th best offense in the league thanks for listening make sure to rate review five-star rating by the way subscribe download go back and click on and download all the previous episodes that's a huge help to me i would really appreciate that uh anything you can do uh to spread the word telling people whether that's online at work wherever you are uh make your buddy download it and listen as well but anyways we will talk to you guys soon thanks guys